And where are the best? Well, not in politics, that's for sure. Times have changed, Germanus. Once politics was the only way our young men could climb out of the slums. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. I mean, if I don't know what you're up to, and if I, if I don't holler and scream when I think you're doing it wrong, and if I just mind my own business and don't vote or care, then I just get what I deserve. In the name of democracy, let us all unite! I'm Dennis Lambert, and I'm running for president this afternoon, this uh, podcast. I've got with me James Pace, uh podcaster in his own right of Pace and Freedom, a libertarian podcast. How's it going, James? It's going. Living the life. So, as best um, as we can, though. Yeah, especially in this uh, type of uh, situation that we've got. We are in a, a difficult and trying times, but uh, we'll get on. We'll get on. You know, humanity has yeah. managed to strive and survive. Definitely. Okay, so with my normal podcast, I, I uh, will talk to people and uh, I ask five questions, so the first of those five questions is, who are you? Uh, if you have any confusion about that, it's a name, where you're from, basic background information. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm James Pace. As you introduced me, I run my own podcast. I host uh, Pace and Freedom Podcast. It's a political talk show. It's categorized as libertarian, but I, I bring in people from all over the political spectrum. Yeah, so I guess I have people like yourself on my podcast from the Green Party. I've had Republicans, Democrats, and the whole goal is to kind of have a conversation and try to find uh, some common ground and uh, figure out what's the best way to live with each other and uh, still you know, not having to force one another to believe in one way or another, just kind of accept what we believe, but still work together. I've served 14 years in in the Navy, and that's kind of where I became a libertarian. Just being around different people from different walks of life, I realized that my point of view at that point of time wasn't the only point of view. And I realized that there's no way to force somebody to um, believe the same way you do. So I found libertarianism that way. I live in San Diego now and uh, working a full-time job and running the podcast. Gets pretty busy as I try to spread uh, the word of liberty. And yeah, that's me. Where did you grow up, though? Uh, well, I grew up outside of the country, actually. I grew up in uh, Spain. Yeah, my parents moved us there when I was four years old. My younger sister was three. My youngest brother was two at the time. And we, my mom is from Spain. She met my dad when he was stationed there, when he was in the Navy. They moved to Florida, had us, and then uh, my dad really loved Spain. He was uh, he missed it a lot, so he managed to get a job at the base there as a civilian, and we moved there and lived there up until I was 16 years old. And then um, the World Trade Center got hit. Um, then we went to war. There was rejection for the United States to go to war uh, in Iraq, and uh, so America, you were Americans, you weren't really liked that well. So we decided to move back to the States and uh, join the Navy at 17. 
So you you kind of have a unique perspective being somebody who's uh, spent some time in Europe. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it, it kind of, it helped mold uh, a lot of things to who I am today. Spain has a very uh, interesting history. And my family on my mom's side were actually, uh, at least my grandmother and my great uncles and great aunts, they were uh, pro-fascism. They were pro-Franco. Uh, After he passed away, the uh, King Juan Carlos took over and introduced democracy, and there was more of a, you know, more of a democracy. I went really, I think, hard for my grandmother's generation to accept, um, especially those that were pro-Franco. Uh, and I kind of grew up listening to stories about how uh, great Spain used to be when Franco was in power. And it was kind of interesting. And uh, so I had the more of a conservative mindset. When I moved to the States, uh, my dad's side of the family were uh, kind of neocon uh, conservative. Uh, so I kind of grew up with a very conservative background, and it wasn't until I, I kind of left the nest that I discovered, wow, you know, uh, things are quite different than what I, I grew up to believe. Are you so, registered to vote, and do you vote is the second question. Yeah, definitely. I'm a, a registered libertarian. Um, I'm also a Libertarian Party member, a paid dues member. My first time voting was in 2008 we had an election, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so long ago. And I voted uh, McCain and Obama. At the time, I was still kind of not a libertarian force, per se, at the beginning there. And it's actually where I discovered libertarianism because somebody is, you know, I was supporting McCain just off of being raised conservative. And somebody's like, you know, he's not the only option. And I was like, what do you mean he's not the only option? I, I'm not going to vote for Obama. And they were like, no, I mean, like, there's other options. And that's where I was introduced to uh, Ron Paul. And uh, I believe was Ron Paul, I believe, ran, was trying to run Republican and uh, obviously didn't get it. So it was McCain. And then, but as I was getting to know Ron Paul, that's where I kind of dove into being a libertarian. But I still voted for McCain at the time, but my vote didn't even count because I was on deployment. The I guess the ballot never made it. And it's Ugh. funny because I'll send you a letter saying that, hey, uh, just so you know, <laughs> your vote didn't count. But at, that's what opened my my kind of world into the libertarian movement. I, I was really, I really admired Ron Paul. And it started getting me into uh, reading into Rothbard and reading into a little bit of Hayek. Hayek can be really difficult to read. The next election, that's where I voted for the first time Libertarian, and that vote actually counted, so I was pretty proud and happy. I voted Gary Johnson. Yeah, just been kind of growing my Libertarian views, and I feel like more and more I'm leaning more anarchists as I go, but I'm not fully there. Yeah, I'm, uh, I took a test once and con it was considered me a uh, anarcho-socialist. I, I can see that, Dennis. I can really see that. <laughs> so uh, since 
we've uh, been talking about elections. We've already covered the, the third question, which is what are your politics? Obviously, libertarian, since you have a libertarian podcast. We'll move on uh, to number four because I'm not a, I'm not afraid to talk about religion. So what is, what is your religion? Wow. So, yeah, um, I consider myself an independent, and I'm pretty sure there's not, not a lot of people like me. Uh, I'm an independent Christian Mormon. Okay. How I became sort of like- that? Uh, well, what happened was, you know, I I kind of grew up with in Spain. Most people are Catholic. My my family was, you know, my mom's side of the family were all Catholic. Uh, my mom was the first one to kind of separate. She actually became Jehovah Witness, and my dad at the time was very into his like Native American background, even though you know he has very little Native American blood, but he was really into it. So he kind of practiced some native American spirituality. So for me, I mean, I had that, I had family that were Catholic. I had my mom who was Jehovah witness. My dad was practicing, you know, kind of more of the spiritual world religion, I guess, if you want to call it that. And I kind of was like, well, you know, I guess I'll just kind of figure it out on my own because that's just how it was. I determined that at some point, I think it was when I was 13, that I was, I just believed in, I believed in God and that was pretty much it. I believe that there was a a supreme power um, with some thoughts that we weren't alone in this world, that uh, the supreme, like there was like a God that actually existed in another world and like kind of planted us here, right? Is like a, a more intelligent person uh, or uh, being. And when I had my first child with my ex-wife, I really wanted my son to kind of have a more stable learning process of spirituality and religion. But I didn't have one myself and my ex-wife didn't have a religion. So we did some research and we kind of put in things that we both believed in that we had in common. And when we did the searches, we found that we, we kind of fell really into uh, Latter-day Saints, Mormon, as far as belief-wise. Right. So we called, we called some missionaries. They came out, and they, did, you know, they taught us. And I, I really believed everything that uh, comes from the uh, Book of Mormon and um, that comes from the Bible because, you know, the LDS Church, the Mormon religion – believes on both the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Book of Mormon, which is uh, an extended testament. I really believed in all of it, uh, and I still do. And I believe that Joseph Smith was uh, a prophet, but I had a really hard time with the organization of the church and of just kind of like the, the dogma and the, uh, and the doctrine, uh, the strict rules. And me being a libertarian, uh, you know, being told what to do is really hard for me. <laughs> and I think where I kind of called it quits is that I remember after I had gotten divorced, I kind of got alienated by the church. Almost I was, I was treated very different. And then when I married somebody outside the church or remarried outside the church, I felt abandoned. I kind of decided, you know what? I still believe in these things. So I'm just going to be my own person. Uh, I still study the Bible. I still study the, the Book of Mormon, and, um, and I believe in it. But I don't think that I need anybody to kind of tell me what I can and cannot do. So I became an independent Christian Mormon. 
I, I think everybody's spiritual journey, you know, it has to be their own. And when I talk to people right. about my own, it, it was more like I, I tell them, you know, those labyrinth games where you have the marble on the board and you have to move it through the maze. That's the way it was for me. You know, I, I was baptized Catholic as an infant, and uh, I think by the time I was eight or nine, I was baptized in the Southern Baptist Church. Uh, I just felt the spirit well up in me, and I attended church regularly, you know, twice on Sunday and every Wednesday uh, up until I was about 16. And then uh, we had the uh, the lesson from uh, Sunday school. The uh, instructor said, well, you don't have to attend uh, church all the time to be a, a religious or holy person, and that's when I, I, I truly began a spiritual journey because I began uh, exploring every religion I, I, I could. You know, I, now I am an ordained Buddhist minister. I think everybody's religion, is, you know, it has to be your own because it, it comes from deeply within you, and it needs to be expressed in a, in a way that uh, is unique to you. Absolutely, you know. And who knows what if there there's like a certain religion or a certain belief that is like the the truth. But I think, and as you put it, you know, making it your own. I think whoever our, our creator is, whoever our, our greater, you know, the the supreme being is. I think that more. I like to believe is being a person, he or she, who you know, or it. I think they just want us to be happy and be good people. To love one another and uh, treat one another with respect. And as long as you kind of follow that ideology, you know, that should be the truth. Right. I forget exactly where it was in, in the uh, the Bible, but Jesus said that uh, when somebody asked him, you know, what commandment is the best commandment? And he said, hold this one above all others uh, is love your brother like you love yourself. Exactly. You need to, the first question I ever asked of God in Genesis is, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, I think he definitively said it in the New Testament, yes, you are. Right. Absolutely. So uh, I, I, I just lather sometimes, especially when it comes to religion, because I've, I've done such a study of so many different religions, and it just really fascinates me to, to, to learn about somebody else's spiritual experience. Now, I, yeah, I and same read, here. I've, I've never read fully the, the Book of Mormon, but I do have a copy of it somewhere. It's an interesting book because it really kind of, if you read it, it's hard to read something. Sometimes it's hard to follow if you don't know history really well because you have to kind of overlap it with kind of the New Testament. And once you do that, it kind of just fills in the blank. So but the last question I ask you before we go into a free-form conversation, and I'm really uh, <laughs> itching to get going, uh, what is your passion and your occupation? Uh, so my passion is really the uh, spread of liberty, as you can tell. I mean, my occupation, I'm in the uh, kind of electronics and robotics industry. Uh, I wasn't always in that. I, I kind of dove into that in the past year. Uh, I've always been in electronics, but in the robotic world, I dove into it deep <laughs> this past year, and uh, I, I actually really enjoy it. Cool. So, well, that's that's. I think that's going to perfectly lead into our, our discussion now. I, for one, uh, you know, I grew up poor, but we never had a, a computer, but I did have friends with computers. So I, I learned to, you know, do little things on computers, uh, fix them computer that uh, a friend and I uh, spent a week programming right before Halloween to, to have it just show a, a jack-o'-lantern on it for Halloween. Spent oh, wow. Programming, we spent a week programming the computer just to show this image with flickering eyes and everything, and it didn't work. So then we spent another uh, 
three or four days after Halloween trying to get it to work, and eventually we did. It, it just looked like a big orange blob. <laughs> so hey, I, yeah. I, I, from that, I learned uh, possibly programming wasn't my uh, strong suit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, programming is harder than people think. You know, I've I put around with it as well. Uh, growing up, my dad was a software engineer, and I I liked it, but then. Things led up to electronics, and electronics just seemed a lot more simpler. And circuitry and uh, your ACDC is it's just a lot simpler, but it, you can do so much with it. So, so um, when you're talking about robotics, do you build the little like bomb detector robots or, or stuff like that, or are you building like uh, maybe surgical assistant devices or, or something like that? It's more of, uh, I guess, we're kind of working with a little bit of AI. Um, so we're working with sensors and how uh, robots can use the sensors to avoid uh, other objects, to detect objects and how to react to it. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I'm more on the electronic side, obviously. I think the the guys that uh, have the, uh, the bigger uh, portion of it would be the programmers and the software engineers and stuff to... Uh, kind of figure that out but i do more of like the electronic side of it but yeah we're working on basically getting robots to react to its surroundings yeah i don't, I don't want to get into t- anything you know that might be uh corporate espionage considered or anything like that but right it seems like right. You're, it's like spatial res- recognition is what you're working on specifically for robotics uh yeah sort of yeah exactly wow that's that's really cool <laughs> Did you have you it, ever it built is. your own? It's, you know, ever since I started working in the past year with uh, with who I work for now, I've been itching to just kind of sit down and make my own robot. Yes. <laughs> so did, I did might you start have that, that project soon? So did you ever have those uh, 101 science kits or robotic kits when you were a kid? Where you you no little no. thing? I had one when I was well when I was in my 20s. I, I picked up one. It's you know, it's meant for like 13, 15 year old, uh, but you know, it's just this old box that had uh, transistors and all sorts of little things on it with little springs that w- you would use the uh, jump wires to go between. And you could make uh, 101 different things from an AM radio transmitter to a voice amplifier to a radio, uh, just all kinds of little things. It was right. really fascinating and, and fun to play with. That's cool. Yeah, no, my, I think my my parents tried to get me into that, and it's funny because now I'm fully on into it, right? But <laughs> my parents tried. They bought me, like, little kits like that, and I wasn't really interested in them. I, they would just sit in my room, and I never touched them. I was really into biology, interesting enough, but uh, not enough to really get into it as a career. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I have uh, problems uh, with uh, mathematics, dis, uh, dysdigita, pneumastia, whatever you want to call it. It's uh, similar to a dyslexia for uh, yes. for math. And But I, I realized that's, that was uh, my major problem in primary and element secondary school was that, uh, you know, numbers to me were, were a foreign language. Only when I had a concentration of like algebra in summer school that I really got it, but that was because that's the only thing I was doing five days a week for two months. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that they teach us in school that I found that I have not used whatsoever, other than, you know, your basic. And it's interesting, and I don't know if you want to go into that rabbit hole, but. I hear a lot of people, you know, they have to get their degrees, they go get their degrees, and, you know, they do all this extended uh, education, 
I've never been a good student. Uh, I, I was good enough to pass grades. I would do the bare minimum and get my homework done. I realized, though, that, you know, a lot of people will see somebody like that and they're like, oh, that person must not be very smart. I was just always interested in other things that were not being taught in school that I found more useful for me and to get to where I'm at today, like the like the electronics. Uh, you know, they don't teach that in school. They might teach a little bit. You might have like a lab where they'll teach a little bit about circuitry or whatnot, but never anything too in depth. And a lot of that I had to learn on my own. And it's where it's what it got me to today. And I you know, it's funny, I pretty much have a job of somebody with an electrical engineering job without having an electrical engineering degree, uh, all based yeah. of just teaching myself. And when people tell me, well, I, you know, you need to have a degree to work, I'm like, um, not really. And I wish there was more of that movement of people getting their own education and being able to use that in the, in the, in the world without yeah. having to get into this horrible debt of uh, of school loans and parents having to dish out thousands and thousands of dollars to get to get a piece of paper to say that hey I learned this that really doesn't do you any good yeah and I think that's I, I've, I've had the same experience with a lot of my friends and, and people that I know in general is that you know we didn't get the education that we wanted from from public school or even college so we have to right. go out and learn these things on our own and really I think especially when we're dedicated to wanting to learn something on our own it holds a greater impression on us and it uh, you know this is what I'd like to see honestly for my uh, for the future for educational development is that kids would have an option to decide what they want to study instead of being Absolutely. taught to the test. Uh, we would yes. have much smarter children. Yeah. I put a lot of thought to education lately and thinking of ways that would work well. Uh, obviously, in a maybe like a libertarian utopia would be, you know, get rid of public schools and get rid of public education. But I know that's not completely feasible. We kind of became very dependent in sending kids to school because that's kind of like the daycare, essentially, because parents have to go to work. But I've been trying to think of better ways to do it where, like you said, where kids have the opportunity to kind of, they'll, they'll gravitate to what they want to learn. Uh, something I realized with my kids, like my son, he has a really hard, he's like me, he has a really hard time at school because all the things they teach doesn't really interest him. What he's interested in is he is obsessed with firefighting. He's 10 years old, and he can name you every section of a fire engine, tell you what each tool does, what each section is for on the, on the truck. Like He just has it down, uh, what each team member does, what they're supposed to be doing, what their job is. He knows it all. When I relate things, when I'm helping him with his homework or whatever, and I, I start relating things to firefighting, he picks it up really easily because it interests him. School itself, you know, he has a really hard time with it. And I would really like to see a, an education system that just allows kids to, to mold into what they want to become. And I think we would have a lot more educated people in this country. Yeah. Also, you know, be showing more practical applications. I think if somebody is really interested, like your son, if he was really interested in, in firefighting and that sort of stuff, I mean, you can integrate math into, well, here's the pressure of the water coming out of the fire hydrant. This is the pressure of it coming out of the hose. 
what's the difference in the, pre- you know, actually absolutely. orienting, actually orienting our education to something we want to learn. You know, that intrigues us a lot more than here's uh, 250 problems, do what you can in class and bring the rest of them done tomorrow. Exactly. And, and it leads you into a rabbit hole, right? Even with myself, when I started kind of learning things on my own, for example, with libertarianism, it led me into this rabbit hole of education. Even with electronics, I had to learn, you know, I had to do some math. So I was more interested in working with math and learning different formulas and stuff that would help me with my trade in electronics. Even with my my, my, my children, I kind of have become a, a, a amateur uh, or novice uh, psychologist because you have to learn how to deal with their emotions and uh, how to figure all that out. So you kind of you educate yourself to what you need and what you're passionate about. It makes you a, a lot more well-rounded person because then you have to go – and learn different things on your own and get information from other people that might know more. And you start working with other people. So now you're, you're getting that socialization and working together with other people to get the information that you need to apply to what you want to apply it to. And, and that, I think that in and of itself will lead to more creative uh, resolutions instead of doctrinal uh, whatever educational system that we're, we're used to. Right. Uh, one thing I'd like to point out uh, that I read back in the uh, the 90s about education, there was a, used to be this uh, the group called uh, the Disinformation Disinformation.org or, or Disinformation Society or something like that. Uh, they mm-hmm. I actually read a book that they put out about a bunch of different articles, and it talked about uh, how a lot of our educational system that exists now was uh, created uh, based on uh, the Prussian style of teaching which was a, a dictum where you would just stand in front and lecture and then have assignments given to people. Now, we know just from the Socratic method, people learn a lot better where you're asking the, the students questions and they have to reason out an answer by themselves. But the, another system that I, I learned, and I would encourage you to figure find out about this if you can, is a pedagogical sloid. Pretty big, pretty good word, big word. But yeah. <laughs> You're educating children on on uh, using their hands. It was a oh, northern European uh, style of teaching where, you know, five years old they're given a pocket knife and they're they're taught how to sharpen that knife, and then they're given basic instru- instructions on how to use that knife. You know, like here's how you make a, a flower stake, which is basically an 18-inch pin with a sharpened end and a rounded top. So you hmm. give them projects. And as they're working these little projects, they figure out how to do things themselves. You know, it would start with a flower peg, but, you know, by the time they're in high school, they're building armoires and uh, full bureau dresses. Wow. Yeah, I think the, the style, and I don't know if you agree with me or not on this, but the public school system that we have now is very much a system that is to create soldiers and and a workforce, basically, uh, that yeah. obeys. They don't really care if you, you go and become a doctor or they just want to make sure that when you get out of high school, are you going to go to college and are you going to obey the, the establishment, right? Yeah. Submit to authority. And ho- exactly. And that's what 
um, the education system is really all about, and it conditions you into it. Again, you know, I use my son a lot as an example, and I'm probably at fault at most of this. My son struggles a lot in school because, again, because he doesn't learn the way they want to force him to, to learn. And on top of that, I have always taught my kids to always question uh, and I don't teach them this because I want them to be in trouble or because I'm trying to raise little anarchists. Uh, so that's a good be... bonus. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I just don't want them to fall into the trap of not being their own person, to right. not want to expand their minds because the education system that we have now doesn't allow you to expand your mind. They tell you, this is what you need to learn. This is what you need to pass. You need to pass this test. Don't worry about anything else that's going around you. If you don't pass this test, you're going to fail and you're going to fail at life. So you need to learn this. And it just creates these robots, right? And people that just don't want to uh, expand further than what they have to learn or what to, to uh, quote unquote, make it in life. When there's so much more, that's why I teach my kids, always question, why is this this way? Why, um, you know, this happened in history? And they take it sometimes a little bit further. They'll say, uh, why do I have to sit down? I want to stand up. Uh, and then they get in trouble for that, right? And, and that might be yeah. a little bit of the uh, libertarian influence that I have on my kids. Yeah, I, it's just. The, the, the education system really creates these robots, and that's not what I want my kids to be. Yeah, I think that was the main goal of the Prussian system was to pound everybody into a cog that would fit in a machine the way that society wanted it to be structured. Absolutely. And, of course, when it came to uh, industrial America, we only need to train you to be smart enough to be able to do your job and not question authority. Yeah, and it's essentially uh, it. and. You know, that's why I think it's uh, so important to make people realize that this is done on purpose and that you have to really question, I guess, what the establishment is asking us to do today. And, of course, it's really hard for people to, to know, one, because they've been created into robots, right, for the most part. Right. But at the same time, they are told what to believe at every moment of the day. They watch the mainstream media. In my opinion, the mainstream media is just an extension of the government, of the state. And they pretty much tell, uh, you know, depending on what side you are, I guess, if you're like a cog in the machine, as you say, depending on where you're at on, in that machine, you believe a certain thing. So you'll either watch Fox News or CNN and believe everything they say to you. For that matter, they don't question it. You know, they just, oh, CNN told me this. This is truth. I don't question it. When you have people like myself, and I, I very much see you as this being somebody that likes to study and likes to talk to different people in different uh, walks of life is there there's much more to to what they give us um, there's shades of gray so yeah here's some uh, surprising book facts uh, and, and really this I think this speaks more to the educational system than people's willingness to to learn 33 percent of high school graduates never read another book in the rest of their lives <laughs> I believe it 40 42 percent of college grads never read a, another book after college 80 percent of families yeah. did not buy or read a book last year in the u.s and here i am i got a stack of them next to my toilet i have a uh, i used to have a lot more uh, a lot 
more books than what I have now. Um, I, I'm, I've been moving a lot in the last three years. I pretty much moved four times. And along the way, books have gotten lost here and there. But I always keep at least one book on my phone electronically. And I just, you know, I continuously read. Every moment that I have that I'm not doing something, I will read a page, a two or three, and just get through them. And it has to be, I imagine, very tough for for a lot of people in today and age to do that. One, because they make you believe that you don't need to read books. You don't need to do go explore because the establishment will yeah. tell you exactly what you need. So there's why no read a book to when you can wait? go beyond. Why read, why read a book when you can wait for the movie? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then that movie is obviously, you know, edited or sculpted to meet a cert- certain agenda. So, yeah, I can yeah. see and I, I don't try to insult people that don't go and read and, and don't go and explore or try to expand their knowledge beyond what they tell us. I don't think they really have a fault in the the issue. It's just the way that they've been brought up. Yeah. My mom mostly read romance novels. But uh, she did read, and that was a, a passion that uh, my sister has carried on. I, I don't know if her children read as much, and I know my brother's children don't read it. None of my brother's children read as much. For me, that was a lot of comfort and solace, uh, not only that, but because I was so eager to learn from a lot of different places that, uh, you know, a lot of time, you know, this is before the Internet, a lot of the information was only in books. And even still, a lot of that's still only in books. Pick up a book, people. Yeah. And if I could turn you on to some Rothbard, please, please read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please do send me some information on that. You know, I, I like to go through not only heavy stuff, but, you know, uh, I'll lighten it up every once in a while. Right now I'm reading a book by a sociologist called uh, Ordinary People as Monks and Mystics, A Guide to Self-Realization. It's mostly a, a study where this uh, sociologist went out in the uh, 70s and 80s and talked to different people who, uh, for, for lack of a better word, have became enlightened, kind of separated from society and uh, didn't set their main goal as, you know, I have to achieve this or I have to get this or I have to buy this or I have to save this much money or I have to make this much money, that they're more focused on their relationship to their community to their families and to their selves about how well they feel as opposed to how well they, they feel they're doing as compared to the Joneses. And, of course, before that, I read George Carlin, uh, When Will Jesus Bring the Pork Chop? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of that one. I'll have to look that one up. That was his last book. Uh, unfortunately, he had to publish it to, because the IRS was coming after him for taxes. A lot of it to stand up, but uh, there are some things in there that, you know, he, he didn't do on stage, or at least I never saw on stage when I saw him tour, but, but it's really interesting. And, of course, before that, I read a biography on uh, Lyndon Johnson and then stories about uh, Hollywood in the 70s and independent films. So now I try to keep it nice, keep a wide variety there. Yeah, I'm a huge, huge – I can read George Orwell over and over and over again, and it never gets old for me. I don't know why. I love 1984 Farm. Those are my two probably top two favorite. And he has some short stories out there as well that are, are really, really interesting. But I don't know why. It's like every time I read it, I, I kind of find something new in there that I didn't yeah. catch the last time. So I think that's why I enjoy it so much. 
I, I wish I could do more of that myself. I think consciously the only books I, I've read more than once were the Lord of the Rings books and uh, The Great Gatsby because I had to do it in college as well as high school. Yeah, I did The Great Gatsby in, uh, in high school as well. Um, that one actually was really interesting. I I didn't think I would like it. I probably should read it a second time. I think I probably enjoy it more. It was a big difference for me reading it the second time because, you know, being a little bit older, but uh, also I spent the whole day reading the Great Gatsby Cliff Notes as well as the uh, the other cheat sheets uh, <laughs> along with the book. You know, I'd read a chapter of the book and then I'd read uh, Cliff Notes versions of what was going on in, in certainly a different way and it made it a little bit funkier <laughs> to go through the right. book. But it, it made it uh, a little bit more interesting for me to be able to read it the second time. You know, I, I don't think it's fascinating reading, but it's certainly a, an interesting read. And it does, does give a direct insight to uh, white society, white wealthy society in the 1920s. True. Very true. As of late, I haven't been able to get into it yet, um, but I've been very interested in reading more into kind of more of the black authors from the – I guess, what what would that be, the 60s? The 60s yeah. era. And kind of the civil rights movement. And a lot of those authors I'm very interested in reading because uh, I see a lot of quotes all the time, and it's like, I don't really think they mean it that way. Uh, so it makes me curious. Uh, maybe I should read into these, these, uh, these authors uh, and, and read their books. So that way if I do challenge how people are using their quotes um, – I can be a lot more educated in it. I think uh, one of the books I'm I'm really interested in reading now is uh, I'm trying to remember the the name of the author. He wrote a book about Charlie Matt who spent 20 years researching the uh, the connection between uh, MK Ultra, Charlie Manson, and and the whole thing uh, around the the uh, the killing of Sharon Tate and uh, La Bianca. Uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to, to digging this book up and, and reading that because, I mean, there's so many different cross-references there. And I, I mean, if this guy spent 20 years researching it before he published it, I think there, there's got to be a lot of good stuff in there. Definitely. I, I would be interested in, in reading into that, too. Have you? Uh, do you watch any documentaries? At all? I watch them when I can. Uh, I don't watch a lot of them, mostly because or uh, docu series. I, I I guess. Yeah, some of them just really get bogged down and just don't. Not that I'm looking for entertainment in a documentary, but I'm at least looking right. for a point of view and something to maintain my interest. And I just watched uh, Don't Look Back last night. That's that Bob Dylan uh, documentary on uh, by D.B. Pennybaker back in 1965 when uh, Dylan was touring England. And to see a 23-year-old Bob Dylan being an asshole to people. <laughs> oh, what was the name of, of the Unabomber? Uh, Kaczynski. Did, uh, they, yeah. yeah, Netflix did uh, a docuseries on, on Kaczynski, and they kind of hinted a little bit into the uh, MK Ultra, not really mentioning it, mentioning it, but kind of the uh, hinting towards that that was a possibility of what created the Unabomber, which I thought was very, very interesting. Yeah. Actually, this book that I just told you about, that there is actually a connection there between MK Ultra and Ted Kaczynski, and they were saying that uh, you know, he was one of the people who was experimented on with LSD and that certainly changed his worldview. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. It could have led to uh, his uh, break with mental break to, to say, you know, technology is taking us over and we need to get back to nature. And I, 
I fully believe that, but I also don't believe yeah. that you know we need to be blowing up people to uh, <laughs> right. otherwise. Yeah, no, I uh, I 100% agree. I heard that his manifest is a very interesting read. I did not read it. it. It talks a lot about like what you were saying, kind of his worldview of going back to nature and, and whatnot, obviously, because that's what he was, that was his message in a very messed up way. For me, being in the, in the world of robotics, uh, I would probably be one of the people that I would receive a bomb from him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the crazy thing was that he was not necessarily bombing people who, who were uh, directly connected to a lot of this technology stuff. He would, it would be somebody on the outside that, that you know, some peripheral person who was uh, writing code for IBM's uh, calculator program. And then right. uh, it, that's the person he would bomb, not the person who was actually uh, creating legislation that would take away jobs or anything like that. It's, of course, when you get that, a, a twisted mentality like that, of course, any justification for your beliefs can come true. Very, yeah. Definitely. Well, we're getting close to the end, so we'll go ahead and we'll wrap this up. Absolutely. It was a great conversation. First question that uh, I always end with is, how do you feel? Did you enjoy this? Oh, definitely. Uh, You know me. I I always enjoy a good conversation. It's kind of my – I love talking to people, so – uh, here's a little bit of ego stroke for me. Second question is, will you vote? And if I'm on the ballot, would you vote for me? <laughs> uh, I think you know the answer to that. Uh, oh, man, you really put me on the spot. Uh, no, I, well, I, I... I will give you a pass. I know you will vote. I'll give you a, a pass yes. because I, I know, I know you, uh, you're very uh, deeply involved with the Libertarian Party, and I wouldn't want to you know, cause any ripples there, but... If I wasn't a libertarian that I was running against, would you vote for Yeah, me? I think if you were a libertarian, I definitely – I think so, and I, I'm going to tell you why. You know, you mentioned earlier on the on the, on the the show um, that you did a test and that you, know, you came out to be an anarcho-socialist. One of the things I always tell anybody in the Libertarian Party, because libertarians, we, we really eat our own, and we're always trying to out-libertarian each other. And one of the things that I always mention is like, look. We need to achieve this idea first of expanding the knowledge to people of the non-aggression principle and how it can really resolve any problem in this world. And that's the commonality that we have within the entire libertarian spectrum. Everybody from anarcho-socialist to to an ANCAP is that we hold that core principle of non-aggression. And I think if I voted for you as a libertarian, it would really bring in a lot of people into that movement, into that ideology. Great. I appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Next question is, uh, what are your hopes? Do you have any hopes for the future? Anything that, you know, we're talking about broad uh, generalization. You know, I don't want you to have to worry about the, oh, I I hope that uh, I beat this uh, parking ticket. Uh, Just just something wide and broad. you know, any ambitions that you have for the future? Uh, well, for myself, I guess I'm still moving, you know, trying to get my podcast to, to really grow. I, we, I've grown a lot, and uh, I'm, I'm very proud of what I've achieved, being able to talk to you, have you as a guest on my podcast, and having all these great people that just have all these different perspectives doesn't only help kind of spread the message that I'm trying to deliver, but it, it helped me grow 
a lot more. So I guess my hope is for me to continue that and to continue to enlighten myself uh, until, you know, I, I have this idea that I can someday reach complete enlightenment. And I imagine it being just this amazing feeling of this amazing life that I could have. Vibrations and light. That's what I want to be, just vibrations and light. Yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've kind of run into the, the number four, what are your personal ambitions? Do you have any, any personal ambitions? Let's uh, don't want to pick on your family, but what, what do you see for a future for your child? Um, I want my children to grow up in a world where they don't have to be afraid of being who they want to be. Uh, you know, as long as it adheres to the non-aggression principle, as long as they're not hurting other people, I think if they can live in a world where they just have unlimited opportunities to do anything they want and learn as much as they want, uh, that's the kind of world I want them to live in. Awesome. And, of course, the last question is an opportunity for you to ask me any question. Do you have any questions for me? Of course, you, like you said, I've been on your podcast, so you've asked me plenty of questions. But uh, now we can get right. more personal if you want to. Yeah, when are you jumping ship? When are you coming to, to the LP? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Actually, uh, I had a phone call with Dario uh, last night, and uh, he made an announcement of his challenge to the uh, – legitimacy of the Green Party, that he has some of his delegates that are, are, are challenging. You know, Howie Hawkins got, I think, half of the votes in Texas, but they gave him 70%, 80% of the delegates, uh, and, mm. and the other half voted against, you know, a no, no confidence in any of the other candidates. Of course, I don't know how many of us were on there, so I, I'm not sure. Well, so I don't know. I don't know if I would jump to the Libertarians, but, you know, I uh, after listening to the one uh, episode that you had with the fellow who was talking about libertarian socialism, I, I can get on his boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was with uh, Henry Connolly, right? Yes, yes, Henry Connolly. Yes. Yeah. He has his yeah, own, I has love his Henry. own podcast too, right? Yep, Voice of Liberty. I love Connolly. I've learned so much. I never knew what a, lib- a libertarian socialist was until I met him. I didn't even know they, they existed. And it, it has really opened a whole new world for me to learn. And, you know, it, it took me to a different rabbit hole that I, I absolutely am enjoying quite a bit. Well, let's give a, a shout out to Henry. Henry's uh, his, uh, podcast. Is it on the Liberty Voice of Liberty. Podcast, Voice of yes. Liberty. Yes. Okay. He's, Henry and I are actually leaving Lib- Liberty Network uh, to create our own network. So that will be coming soon. Oh. And uh, we're looking for we're, – we're coming up with these amazing ideas to really make our network a very, very, very diverse. That's the goal. We want extreme diversity. We don't care if you're – obviously, uh, adhering to the non-aggression principle. If you're like a, a KKK member or a Nazi, you're not welcome into the network. Other than that, we want diversity. We, we want BL, a, you know, people that believe in BLM uh, – we want LGBTQ, we want different religions, different uh, parties. If we can get podcasts uh, from any aspect, uh, we want you in the, in the network. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I've been talking with James Pace, the star of Pace and Freedom podcast, currently on the uh, LibertyCaster network, paceandfreedom.com, at 
Space and Freedom on the Twitter and other social medias. James, I want to thank you so much for, for calling in, and I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a great privilege. I'm Dennis Lambert, and I'm running for president. Thanks for listening.